One of the things that I like about high-caliber people in general or ambitious people is that we can take criticism, we don't take it to heart. I'm obsessed with NLP. NLP changed my life completely, 180 degrees. And do you sometimes look at your Elon Musk's on the world and your Jeff Bezos, some of the other super successful billionaires? Don't go back and forth, back and forth. You can either die in this case, or you are not going to proceed further. You're going to go back to square one. As I start to feel that uncomfortable feeling of drain, there's a lot of energy thinking about this, my hand goes for my phone in that moment. So what is actually happening there? Welcome to the Young Leader Podcast. We'll be showcasing the very best business owners and thought leaders within the YP Club. We'll be delving deep into strategies on how to scale your business the things they don't tell you about their industries, and the struggles of scaling a business right here in the Middle East. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Young Leader Podcast. Today, I'll be sitting down with our member, Lana Stallen. Lana is a, an amazing member who focuses on mindset coaching. Today, we'll be discussing a number of different topics within mindset coaching, starting specifically from NLP, um, neuro-linguistic programming, and Lana gets into the details around that. And one of the amazing things about Lana is that she's worked with some really high-profile CEOs and decision-makers within businesses. To get her perspective on work-life balance, what it takes to change the mindset of somebody who's very aspirational and driven is something that I, and I'm sure many other listeners, can resonate with. So if this is something that you're interested in and you will take some value in listening, then I do highly recommend that you continue to watch this through to the very end and take as much wisdom and nuggets of information from the podcast. So Lana, welcome onto the Young Leader Podcast. Thank you for inviting. Pleasure to have you on. Um, one of the things I just wanted to jump straight into is that I know that you've been very keen and pushing forward with that mindset coaching and stuff. And when you look at Dubai, there's so many different coaches and stuff, and it's very difficult for you to identify what actually mindset coaching means where there's so many different people saying that they do this service. So to clarify for everybody out there that's thinking, what is exactly mindset coaching? What does that look like to you? That's a very interesting question. So when we talk about mindset specifically, there are a few other aspects that we need to look into. But to give you a big picture, everybody comes from a certain place, right? We all have this thing called conditioning. So conditioning is coming from our past experiences, our environment, how we grew up in, you know, all of these things plays an impact, you know, important factor into shaping our reality, basically the result in your life. So I know that you're mentioning about Dubai, you know, like we have different multicultural background. So multicultural background, um, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. You know, we might come up with different culture, understanding about certain things, but then at the end of the day, we all have... Uh, the same things that we want, you know, and then we shape from where the condition is coming from, then we work around it. And this is a topic that I actually find really interesting, right? And one of the, when I had a Fazal on, he's a member of the knees involved in the conglomerate for businesses. 
with a core focus is technology. And I was trying to map out, and I was going to do this with you, but I think if I tried it with you, I think you would roll reverse it immediately onto me. But it's trying to understand that those characteristics from childhood that really drives who you are as an individual now and starting the story right back from, you know, as young as one can remember. If you do that, is that something that you look at? I think that's something quite important, right? What are the kind of things that you would be looking at in somebody's childhood to try and understand the relationship with some of the behaviors that they demonstrate now and then using that to really, I think, shift perspective? Um, Beautiful, actually beautiful question. Now, one of the things that we always work on is the childhood um, past traumas or anything that we do that we self-sabotage our journey in our life in the future is actually related back to you know what we experienced from the past now coming back to um how do we look back and how we change the narrative shift the paradigm shift the perspective on this thing is that we connect the dots we connect the dots from how what are the things that they are doing and how we help them to reprogram their subconscious mind to some degree. For example, um, a lot of entrepreneurs like you and I, for example, or business owners in general, we want to be uh, our own boss, right? And the reason why we want to be our own boss is because during our childhood, we don't like to be told no. And they kick it. It's not a common thread with all the entrepreneurs. Yeah, so... So that's one thing that we always look back and a lot of fears that we have as an entrepreneur or a business owner as a general, because when we are right here, when we are doing business, we want to become the best version of ourselves, all of this thing. Fears is one of the most emotions that we feel because we want to become the best version of ourselves. We want to make more profit, right? And all of this thing. And then we started to questioning ourselves. Okay, can I actually do this? How am I going to get the resources? How am I going to get that money? You know, all of this thing that we started question. And then when we relate back to the childhood, there's always something in the childhood that brings up all of this thing. Interesting. So what are the kind of, I guess a lot of entrepreneurs will listen into this. And I know that with the work that you do is amazing. And I'm hoping that we can run a workshop together to go more into details into this stuff. But what are kind of the key things or the common things that you might see with an entrepreneur specifically when they come to you for mindset coaching? How would you go around supporting them so that they can take their business forward? I love that so much. If there's one thing that I love the most, first of all, is making them believe in themselves. Now, with that being said, when we are running a business, it's not that we don't believe in ourselves, otherwise we won't start uh, the business rightly. But we have... A common thing around business owners or entrepreneurs in general is that fear of not being good enough, fear of uh, judgment, fear of criticism, and fear of rejection. So all of this thing actually ties up to our beliefs. Now, when you know it as well as I do, like the most important thing is that to believe in yourself, because if you don't, who will, right? And how I do it is that we have... um, powerful coaching techniques uh, such as NLP and hypnotherapy that we rewire that um, the subconscious mind uh, to success basically. So we tap into that uh, emotion, negative emotions because our thoughts 
create our emotions, our feelings, and our feelings will create our action. And our action will create the result in our life. So if the result in our life is not something that we want, there's only one place that we go by intern. It's our thoughts. Yeah. It's our conditioning. One thing that I've been playing around with a little bit in my just personal journey since I've left my career of being more entrepreneurial and is, is the, the, the changing your perception of a specific scenario. And I was listening to this podcast that I think it was so interesting, summed up my learning around the way that you think about something. And it was this guy, he said that he was doing podcasts and he managed to get his um, his subscribers to 20,000 on YouTube. And he was stuck at 20,000 and his friend was Joe Rogan, which has like 10 million subscribers. And he, he was like just comparing himself to that. So in his mind, he was using the comparison way, which everyone says is a thief of joy. And he said he was continuing working on it, but he was unable to push past that 20,000 subscribers. His friend took him to a basketball game and they were just sat there watching the game. And his friend turned to him and said, what's the capacity of the stadium? He said, I think it's about 25,000. He turned to him and he said, you have almost as many subscribers as the entire population of the stadium. And in that moment, his mind, sh- mind shifted to say, I have this huge reach of people on a daily basis. Yeah. And from there, the work and commitment that he demonstrated into his channel for podcasts just grew exponentially and his subscribers grew. But he just got stuck in a place where his mind and the perspective that he had because he was comparing himself put negative connotations on his success. Yeah. And it's just weird how you could just feed one line of information to somebody that just changes the whole outcome. Perception is projection. That's what it is. Is that something that you really try and work on and understanding what is your perception of this and try to shift it yeah 100 percent. because uh, our minds our mind they they work best with scenarios like stories for example you know you can sit in a room full of ceos for example um there's actually a networking club uh worldwide on this uh only ceos is it eo ceo but is it called the eo the with... i can't remember but i can ask my friend because uh he was one in um in one of the clubs and you pay extortion amount of money to be in this club but what you do there's no one is paying attention to what you're saying or kind of like guiding you or anything like this but they sit down like you and i and some other ceos as well very high level people yeah and then they tell you about their problem you know uh, whatever that is and then you come up with a story and i make my own uh, perception and perspective on your story and connecting the dots and resolve that solution myself, basically. To summarize, then you would be in a group with a bunch of CEOs. Then say if it was you, myself, and the crew, they were all CEOs. I stepped up and I said, this was my problem. I would sit back down and then you would bring a solution of attention to that issue. So it's very collaborative among high high achieving uh, people in roles with a high level of pressure and growth. A hundred percent through stories. For example, it could be like last week I went to a... I remember you said you can't directly give advice, right? A hundred percent, yes. Because <laughs> okay. you're not licensed or professional in this sense, so you can tell stories. Fair. But if you are on that level, your mind is open to 
criticism, all of this thing. It's not beautiful, it's ugly, but then you accept it because you want to become the best version of yourself. Yeah. You want to you wanna get rid of this. And one of the things that I, I like about high caliber people in general or ambitious people is that we can take criticism. We don't take it to heart, although sometimes we might. It might be a little bit ugly, but... <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but then we just want to leave this behind, you know, like, for example, fear of, uh, fear of, uh, can I actually do it? Or can I be successful in this? Like, if I do this, would it work? You know, all of this thing. We want to release it. So while we want to release it, we're going to take anything, really. Give me a judgment. Give me a criticism. I don't care. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen, right? Well, you're so... I love that. The, the couple of things that we've spoken about previously, and I, I still try to get my head around it, is the NLP program. I'm sure that you mentioned a few times. Yeah. What exactly is that? Because I, I feel like it's a core focus of, of what you do. All right. Is it something that you see as kind of one of the main offerings that you encapsulate? A hundred percent. I'm obsessed with NLP. NLP changed my life completely, 180 degrees. Uh, not only in my personal life, but also for a professional as well. You know, right now I'm doing this full time and it completely changed my life. And one of the things with NLP, NLP um, in full is neuro-linguistic programming. So what it means is that neuro is your mind, how you think, the thoughts that you have. Linguistic is language, how you speak, how you use your language to deliver your speech, what you're thinking about. Does that make sense? Yeah. Programming is how we combine those two together and create the result that we want in life. And in short, NLP is how you want to become successful quickly. And that's something I can promise to anyone. Yeah, amazing. And do you sometimes look at your Elon Musk's in the world and your Jeff Bezos and some of the other super successful billionaires, Bill Gates, the rest of them have gone on this crazy journey. Do you look at it through the lens of a mindset coach and try and break that down in terms of what they've demonstrated from what your teachings would look like and say Elon Musk is definitely demonstrating this kind of behavior which you would look to see in a leader of that caliber. Yeah, 100%. I think he has a very great mindset and great attitude. One of the things in NLP is that um, we have this thing called physiology of excellence, which means you embody the person that you want to become. Even though you're not too sure at that moment, like, am I saying the right thing or am I doing the right thing? But you embody that person that you want to become. For example, like Elon Musk, whether he threw out or anything, like he is still in tech with who he is, right? And that's the physiology of excellence. You communicate with people around you through your body language. 55% of your communication is through your body language, you know? So you can tell if someone is confident about what they're saying or if they don't through their body language, you know? When you are not confident about something or you feel low vibration in that sense, you can tell like their shoulder will go down and then they will hunch their back or something like this. Right? Body language. Yeah. So but then if you're confident and you feel powerful, then your body language just you open up your shoulder. This is how we communicate. And that's why we can go somewhere and not understanding what they're talking to you about. But then because their body language communicating with you, somehow you understand it. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, and it's weird. I don't know if maybe you can relate to it, but I used to always assess people based on their body language. I can kind of, you know, going out sometimes and I'm with my friends and I'm like, 
I feel that that guy's probably trouble looking at certain people. I'm like, I'll avoid that. You know, always assessing it out. I'm constantly looking at individuals. I can tell a lot from their body language as well. Like if I'm going to um, a networking event, obviously it's very relatable to our business. I know who's there with the right energy. I don't even have to see their face sometimes. I can just see it, you know, they're there. And it, sometimes you can see how trustworthy somebody is as well. There's a lot you can tell through the eyes. Um, something else that's really interesting that I found in Dubai as well, because it's so multicultural. There was a point where I was just constantly out with different people. And I would look at the way somebody stood and their mannerisms. And I would be like, are you from Lebanon? I, I would be like, because I... I just see, I just see the Jordanians, they do certain thing and like, they'll do like this certain nod or something. And I'll just pick up on it. I make a mental note. I remember, I remember one time I was in sort of the guy from, um, from Jordan and we were just talking and you like the, the accent from these people that kind of countries kind of blend into one sometimes. And he did this mannerism because I lived with a Jordanian person for a while. I hated the same thing. And I was like, you, immediately it just came out of my mouth. I was like, are you from Jordan? And he was like, are you following me on Instagram? <laughs> but I definitely, the, the body language and stuff like that, how you communicate through that is something that I think I've held close to my heart and used that in my favor for many years for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. We communicate, um, words are only 7% of your communication. 38% is your tonality. So 55% is your body language and it's only normal for you to really interested in getting to know, like observe people uh, through their body language because it speaks so much. Yeah. The one thing in terms of, uh, I'll just take it back a little bit because I want to keep it entrepreneurial focused and then we'll, we'll delve away. But there was this thing that I was listening into around entrepreneurs, specifically with insecurities, right? And we spoke just previously, um, I was saying that I've, I'm a workaholic and stuff like that. And this guy was tracing that back to his own childhood. And he was saying that, which I related to, and I was just wanted to get your opinion on how often you see this. He said that he works so hard because he feels when he doesn't work hard, that he's inviting bad energy into his life. Because when he was younger, there may have been like issues around money in the family and stuff like that. So he feels that the only way that he can protect his family, even though sometimes it might not be like a productivity thing, is that, again, it's inviting that bad energy to his life. So he feels that his family would be safe from continually just constantly working. So it was, it's, a, it's an evolving on your point around insecurities and then just tracing it back to childhood. Yeah. I wouldn't say that is insecurities. I would probably say that is, that is a, belief, a belief that he has. Um, Probably he grew up, now this is me giving assumption and mind reading, just from what you're telling me. Um, probably he grew up seeing his family not having enough money or um, he doesn't want his family to struggle, right? So he developed this belief that I have to work hard so that my family will never have to suffer. Well, my, my family will never run out of money, you know? So if he stopped working, what's going to happen is that he's going to attract that, okay, I'm not working now. Constantly, he will have this fear or guilt inside of him. Joke or keyword, yeah. Yeah, that um, my I don't want my family to to not having money to spend or you know things like this. He wants to protect, but that's more of a belief. The word limiting beliefs comes to mind quite often when it comes to entrepreneurs. I I think because I have 
the advantage, which I'm very grateful for, speaking constantly to entrepreneurs, sometimes you could clearly see that limiting belief in the way that they talk, right? And you're, you're getting my mind thinking about so many different strands. Um, is that one of the key things that you'd like to look at with the limiting belief and how hard is that to overcome? If somebody has a great business idea, they've built a lot of success around the business and what people work in fling. But they may have hit, like like the guy around the podcasting scenario, they may have hit a stumbling block in their growth and now they have this limiting belief. How do you work with them to overcome that in like the more in the most granular sense that what does that journey look like okay beautiful so first of all uh, we get the personal personal history details about that person now this is if i work one-on-one with someone um on a personal level personalized level and we get to know everything about them and from their childhood as well okay and another thing is that we we tap into their five negative functions. For example, anger, sadness, fear, hurt, and guilt. We all have this as a human being, right? And it doesn't matter whether you're a business owner who makes seven billion or whatever that is. We all have this. Now, um, how do we release the limiting beliefs? Is that by two things? One, we work directly with the unconscious mind, so we reprogram, rewire all of these things. We take the learning from the past. We take the learnings in, into the root cause of the problem, the first topic it was created. I know it sounds pretty, I don't know. No, I'm following that. Yeah? It's really interesting, yeah. Okay, uh, because when we talk about limiting belief, limiting belief actually started with decision. Okay, decision comes from an idea, from uh, external event, which is what you see, what you, uh, what you hear, what you feel, what you taste, what you smell. At inner toll. Okay, when well, you take an idea and you impress it upon your logical mind, which is, we call it uh, your conscious mind as well. Um, when you take that idea, your conscious mind is like a captain in a cruise. If you go on a cruise, there's a captain. Well, the captain will be telling all of the crew on what to do, right? For me. The crew is your unconscious mind that makes it work for you. So in this case, when you, you take an idea from someone, you make that decision, okay, I'm going to believe that person. I'm going to take that idea. And that's why you hear it so much that <clears throat> be careful what you hear, be careful what you see, what you feel, all of this thing, because it actually makes a difference. And that will kind of like make or break you because if you take an idea that is negative, just because you trust that person or whatever that is, it becomes your limiting belief. But it comes from decision, Chris, because you or, you know, that person decided, okay, I'm going to take that. I think, uh, I think he's right. I think she's right. And then it becomes your belief. When it becomes your belief, it's, there are two ways to work on it. Like I said earlier, one is that we work uh, directly with the unconscious mind. Or is the second one by repetition. We write down all of the things that that is stopping you from actually moving forward, from getting to your goals, your dreams, your design. How to work with the unconscious mind? What does that look like? Wow, very interesting. Uh, is it okay if I explain first about your conscious and unconscious mind? Yeah, definitely. Okay, so, so we have two parts of mind. And uh, the first part, we call it conscious mind. This is the logical mind. Okay, this is the 2 to 4% of your potential. You can either accept or reject any idea. 
Okay. And then we have the unconscious mind. This is the emotional mind. And this is 90, 60, 98% of your potential, which is everything that happens in your life is coming from your unconscious mind. Okay. But your unconscious mind can only accept any idea. Does that make sense? And uh, so, like I said, um, by two things, if you are not doing, um, for example, in NLP, we have this technique called time and therapy, where we tap into the root cause of um, the problem, the event, whatever that is. But we also work with your emotions. Like I said before, your thoughts create your feelings, right? Your emotions and your emotions will create your action and your action will create your result. And a lot of the time while people procrastinate, for example, procrastination is, a, is fear. Well, so if I think of, that's one thing that I've been able to avoid in my life, thankfully, I, I don't like people with procrastinate and just generally lazy people. It just, it just bothers me. Um, that's a sad conversation. You know, I think a lot of people suffer with that now and with devices constantly being there and. I've just refused to download TikTok because I know that thing is just like a virus brain. See? <laughs> friend, I'm sure you did 17 hours screen time. No way. I'm not like, you showed it to me. It was like, I've physically not been able to drop it. And after that, I just made a decision not to go on it. You, what you're saying is that he stays on the phone for 17 hours. 17 hours, yeah. And so he spent the evening before partying, drinking this stuff. And then the next day, he's staying like in bed, no problem, all day. 17 hours oh my goodness but but that's a side thing what i was thinking is like all these social media platforms they're all eating through attention when you say fear right and i like to make it like give it a news case and give it a scenario which people can relate to yeah i there may be something a task that i've also allocated to me i need to get it done yeah but i do Actually, I'll make it really relevant to me in some of the times where I felt like procrastinating. You can unpick the situation. I'm working on something, a new idea or a concept or a strategy, and my brain, I could feel it. I'm in a lot of pain because I'm thinking about all these different variables that will affect the outcome of the strategy. As I start to feel that uncomfortable feeling of I feel drained, there's a lot of energy thinking about this, my hand goes to my phone in that moment. So what, what, what is actually happening there? So your unconscious mind is controlling your body. It runs your body as well. And your unconscious mind is also the domain of your emotions. So that's why when I say about um, all of the five negative emotions, it's coming from your unconscious mind. So why, first of all, like you said, you have a lot of pain in your mind, like you can feel it, right? There's a lot of energy putting into this. I need to shift it. Did you say that to yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe sometimes you don't consciously, right? But I'm very self-aware. I constantly think about why am I demonstrating these behaviors? Like, but yeah, as you were saying. Yeah. So that's a signal that you're giving to your unconscious mind. I need to do something else. And your unconscious mind loves you very much. Okay. It knows when something is uncomfortable for you. Correct. So what happens is that it helps you to do something else. So to your unconscious mind, you are signaling to... Uh, to tell your unconscious mind, help me, I need to do something else. I can't do this, you know? So the defense mechanism of your unconscious mind is to protect you. Okay. So that's why you reach out where you can't. That's like a, a pleasure. Yeah. And do you, ever, do you ever find yourself in a scenario where you feel those kind of triggers? I think most people do, right? There's just so many tastes that there's no fun. 
and it's very it's very good to be self aware when you're doing it, looking it through. But do you ever find yourself in a situation like that? And if you do, how do you manage it? If you've got deadlines, you've got clients there, we're all busy people, right? How how do you manage that? I like that question very much because obviously I'm just a normal human being. Sometimes I did that. Um, for me personally, I I come back to discipline. You know, motivation is not always going to be there, especially as a woman. Uh, sometimes, you know, before my my menstrual. For example, I have a certain <laughs> energy that is feeling low and something like this. Um, with that being said, I would I would go back to discipline. So discipline, remembering like, okay, I have a deadline. I have to get this done. And then I will reward myself after that. So I will take a, a break, for example, like after I'm done with it. I wouldn't say that you should be hard on yourself. You you need to have the balance. You must actually, so that you can perform better. But at the same time, what happens is that sometimes I do this, by the way. When I become so hard on myself, I tell myself like, oh my God, why did I do that? You know, like all of this thing, being hard on yourself. Yeah. And your unconscious mind is like that because your unconscious mind takes everything personally. When we talk about Mike, obviously. And like I said, 96 to 98% of your result in life is coming from your unconscious mind. So we need to build that rapport with the unconscious mind for you in order to get the result that you want, the goals that you want, the dreams and everything. So with that being said, you, for me personally, I would go back to discipline, like going to the gym. You know, I'm not always motivated to go to the gym, but because I remember my goals, I go and get it done. But after you get it done, you feel so much better. And it's the same with uh, finishing a work, you know, a task. Work-life balance is an interesting concept. I speak to so many different people about what that looks like for that. Yeah. I think you're in a, a slightly unique position that you work with high-profile individuals and you see into their lives because they open up or share information with your What is your perception of work-life balance? What does good work-life balance look like? on average for an individual, what kind of advice do you sometimes give on that? And I know it's a tricky question because it's so individual, but like if there's any kind of nuggets of wisdom that you've got around that. Mm. So work-life balance to me doesn't really exist for people who are having really high goals, you know, for example, you, you have a very big goals for this company at the moment, right? If you stop for a while, then there's a lot of things that you missed out from our conversation before. <laughs> but um, with that being said, um, if you want to be really successful, sometimes you can choose either work or balance. Balance, you know, like the words balance is also, it's good. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about professional perspective first and then we go into, pers- is that okay? Yeah. So in a pro- professional perspective, work-life balance doesn't really exist. If you really want to make a lot of money or if you really want to be successful, if you have deadline to achieve and all of this thing, you give all, you know, it's either zero or hundred. Okay. But um, in terms of personal, uh, personal life, in terms of work-life balance, I would say you have 24 hours in a day. We all do. It's not about uh, what activities that you, you manage around it. Sorry. Um, it's not about... You don't have time. You just need to manage your activities. So one of the things that I 
that I think about in, in relation to work-life balance is that wake up an hour earlier to do personal development stuff and such as uh, listening to meditation, like gratitude meditation for three minutes. You know, there's a gratitude meditation for three minutes. You can't say that you can't do it, right? Absolutely. So, um, and then journaling. And then I usually dedicate like one hour after I wake up just for personal development alone. Yeah, sometimes 30 minutes if I really don't have time and I need enough sleep for, for the rest of the day. Uh, with that being said, to me, that is work-life balance. And then throughout the day, I'm just like on the go. Like I have things to do, you know? So that's to me. What what does a, a morning routine look like for you then when you're doing this hour with meditation? How have you found meditation beneficial? Kind of unpack that for you, given your experience and stuff. I'd, I'd love to learn because you've, you're way deeper into kind of that personal development stuff. I'm definitely at that stage where I'd like to definitely bring more into my life, I would say. Yeah. I think that's really beautiful, by the way. The intention is there, so. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, it starts with intention, right? Yeah. Intention is everything. So uh, personal development for me, like uh, one hour after I wake up, is that I, I put on gratitude meditation. It depends on the timing that I have. Sometimes it's three minutes, sometimes it's four minutes, sometimes it's six minutes, depending. And then after that, I start with journaling. And it's not even that long, really. Uh, journaling sometimes it's about who I want to become the person that I want to become what do I want to achieve or sometimes it's just what I'm grateful for on that day so it depends on my mood and how I'm feeling on that day but this is just to make sure that I'm grounded and I set my day with intention and then I read books so I would read uh, maybe 10 pages minimum so this is what I set a goal for myself. Like every single day, I will have to read a book. Sure. So minimum 10 pages. But what I notice is that every time I read 10 pages, I always exceeded that 10 pages. So that's really good for me. And then breakfast at the same time, days with my cats. So these are all like great, uh, great things for me um, in, in terms of work-life balance. The meditation thing will... Was that gratitude meditation? What was it? Yeah, gratitude. What exactly is that? How does it differ to other things? Okay, beautiful question to actually. So one of the most highest frequency vibration that we we want to strive on is gratitude. Gratitude is the one that will bring everything that we need into our life. And the reason why I can say this is because obviously I have gone through the phases in my life and I remember there was this one time that I was only having $4 in my bank account, having living in my car, you know, my, my back seat was my wardrobe, for example. And at that moment, I, I realized that I did not look at my bank account, you know, focusing on $4 that I have. But I look outside and I look, look at the sky and there's spirit and there's beautiful sky and beautiful greenery stuff you know things like this and then i feel so grateful for that why am i saying this is because when we're grateful for the things that we don't have yet we will invite more into our life and with gratitude meditation it's just to make you grounded again and cultivate all of the things that you have gone through so far in your life and for the things that you are about to have in your future does that make sense i feel like it's uh, yeah, I love the the psychology around 
gratitude and just embodying it in your life and something that that's the one thing that's been consistent and there's a few there's a few things but in terms of mindset it's always been gratitude for me like i'll always uh not always but i'll often post and just when i see the merch community i just find it as just such a beacon of inspiration and just being the buyer right it's just such a just so grateful to be here with the opportunities and everything that it has what exactly do you think it is about being grateful that helps set the intention and helps take you forward because i i, I love it i just do it and one of the things that from personal experience again just great on what personally is that if something goes wrong something major goes wrong in life and sometimes you're like certain people don't know how to manage it something huge is that some things have happened in life like quite recently it's massive and everybody around me is like how are you going to manage that and it's either like, why are they so worried? Because I've just been constantly on this fair journey of gratitude. But I think it's just made me just constantly kind of like one level. I just feel that I'm managing the peaks and troughs of emotion and just trying to keep as close as possible to neutral so that my emotions are constantly in control. So I think that demonstrating gratitude has just made me think this actually doesn't matter if I zoom out far enough just carry on with what needs to be there. Yeah. I mean, when you, when you see things like that, it just, I want you to consider and also maybe reflect back. And the reason why you can do that is because you know that it's going to work out, right? Don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know deep in your core that this is going to work out. Yeah, of course, right now it's a disaster or like a problem, massive uh, issue or whatever that is. But things are going to work out eventually, sooner or later. And when you, as a founder yourself of your own company, for example, if you have this belief, what happened to all of your other team? They started to believe in you too, no? Yeah. There's a thing that I found really interesting with more recently and going on this journey, and there'll be people listening that are so far ahead, why just try and make it? I'm as honest as possible, right? I've realized transparency and authenticity and just being a true leader, people aspire to it. They just gravitate towards it just naturally. And I've realized this in the last few months, just being completely raw. People are like, they want it. You know, people in the creative will often ask, can I work with you? Is there anything that I can just support? And I'm like, I'm just overwhelmed by those kind of invitations of, they just want to support so much. And I think there's a lot to be said. I think what you're saying is just demonstrating or right behaviors as you need to It's your values. And you embody your values. Uh, like you said, you already mentioned it to me. Your authenticity, uh, transparency. And there's another one that you mentioned just now. Worship. Transparency, authenticity. And there's another one that you mentioned, but it was beautiful by doing both. And this is your value as a person. And you bring this value, value in your career. Okay, because we have... Uh, a few section of our life in, our, in each area of our lives and for example like health career finance relationship family all spirituality all of this thing but in the context of career your values would be authenticity um, transparency and all of the other things and you started to embody all of these values and people started to notice all of this thing in you and oh leadership leadership true leadership and I think that's just so beautiful. And I think this is what most business owners, business owners, and also companies 
actually need to work on their values, like whole value, who they are as a person, and how do you uh, bring this out so that your team can actually see this is my value and you have that value. If you and your team, for example, have the same value as you, everything will work seamlessly, easily and effortlessly and naturally. Is that something that you work with then in terms of, instead of just, I've been focusing so far on individual mindset coaching, right? And specifically on entrepreneurs. So if we take that a little bit wider and think, how can we apply this in a corporate setting? How do we apply it to a number of different people focused on what should be the same objective? And I've come through the corporate world, right? One of the things that fascinated me most was the onboarding process. The way they the way they make you believe in the vision so deeply, and I remember because it had a level of onboarding and the experiences far beyond a lot of my peers. I worked for UI by the way, and you know they've refined this over years and years, trialed it on probably hundreds of thousands of people by now. I really felt that I was part of the family. I was so excited, the level of loyalty that it breeds is crazy. Yeah. Um, to parallel almost, right? With these big companies, Amazon, probably I know people that have worked there and other big firms. Do you work on that level then as well? And do you go into kind of teams and try and help structure the vision and the values and aligning people? Yeah, 100%. Um, values is one of the biggest pillars in uh, running a company, for example. And I would say for business owner or like senior management level, for example, uh, if we're talking about that context, it's good to have all of these people started to embodying the three top values in your career. And then when, when we have our team in that sector, having the same type of values, driven admission, like they carrying it with pride, this is, this is the, the drive for the success of the business. And when we look at successful business out, out there, you look at the employees, and you look at them when they talk about their companies, how they speak about the companies. You can tell that they're actually um, in love with the company. They're, they're actually as one as the company. So that's why it's so important for not only an individual, but also the company to work on values and team values at the same time. So everybody is moving towards the same direction. When everybody's working toward the same goal, everything will start to you know, fall into places. How does that look like when you're going into a company and maybe trying to structure this kind of training if somebody's listening now and, uh, you know, we have a number of founders which may employ, I know many founders in the community that employ more than 20 and they say, Lana, listen, we've got this team, I've got this vision, I don't think they're aligned. What does that look like? Because I'm just trying to get granular because this is a space that I'm not really as close to. So what would that look like? It will look like we work in a team. <laughs> it will look like we, we work in a team and we sat down, we set a goal, first of all. Not just any goal. The goal that will move them to work towards it. Now, when we talk about goal, by the way, first of all, we need to get clarity on the goal. And we set a team goal. So not just personal, not just professional, but the team goal. So everybody will get to work on their personal goal, professional goal, what do they want, how much they want to earn, all of these things. But then we also work on the team goal specifically and everybody will have the same goal and having that clarity. And then we, this, the next step would be like, what do we know and what we don't know? What are we currently know and what we're not doing? So we close that gap. 
we've bridged that gap, gap together. How many companies you know out there keep on sending people to seminar or um, doing any courses or anything like this for people to know more? But you already know more. Now, you, we just need to bridge the gap between what you know and what you do. And then this is where I come in and uh, put things together and help them out, not just only setting goals, but bridging the knowing doing gap. And then from then on, uh, we work on the mindset perspective. We go deeper into that for the team specifically. And then we work on uh, self-image, how they portray themselves, not just only from the side appearance, but from the inside. Because as you know, it uh, everything comes from you, right? Everything starts and ends with you. Even though they work in a team, and that's why we want them to align. When we want them to align, then we work on the self-image from the side. When we set a team goal, for example, sometimes it can be scary for some people. Like we, like I mentioned earlier, we all coming from different backgrounds, different conditioning. And so some people might have different perspective on this idea, but different people have different perspective on that idea. How do we make everyone is aligned with the goals that we're going um, to achieve together as a department? I love that. And I love the fact that you said that you set a team goal because that's all about accountability, right? And feeling involved as a key decision maker. Do you think then there's an issue at the moment? Then? I think in my personal journey, I've been asked to do a lot of training. There's such a stigma around the word training right now. And there's certain things that I've done. I've done courses at Alvarez and Master. My last deployment was really good. It was like very interactive and people forced to get involved in it. But still, I do think there's a huge gap between actually what you've learned or cutting it into motion. Yeah. This is exactly what I said just now, like knowing doing gap. You feel that massively with, with extra insight of that. Um, in America, this is back in like 1990, for example. In North America alone, people, uh, companies put six, 60 billions on education. Can you imagine? $60 billion. Yes, for people to know more. But they're not in you. No, not implementing in the right way. Um, this is when uh, mindset comes in between because there's a gap between where you are to where you want to be, right? The gap is where you need accountability, not, right? What are we not doing? What do we know? And what are we not doing now? What's stopping us? What's holding us back? What are we resisting? What are we avoiding? And when we work on team uh, level, for example, in a department, um, there are a few things that we need to understand, like what is it? So we come together as a team and then we write down all of the things that uh, that's stopping us. And this is the part where they need to be 100% honest with themselves if they want to move forward together. If, by the way, this is quite controversial, I would say, or not many business owner wanted here but when you set a team goal and if that person one person in that team is not in alignment with the goal that you want to achieve because i don't know maybe something behind uh, fears holding them back or anything like this to get to the goals that the the company set might not be easy you know because one energy is going down does that make sense yeah, one bad apple on the team can really affect the rest of the mindset, the way that people perceive. I, I've been looking into this a lot, and I, I've spoken with other people that have come onto the podcast because they've gone on and built big teams. 
you know, um, Fazal employs nearly a hundred people. And one of the things that really strikes me in the beginning of a business is how important each hire is for the business. Because each hire you make is a significant amount of money in the beginning for how much revenue you're actually generating. And finding the wrong person can have quite a significant detrimental impact on the overall business. Say now you have 10 people, then you have one person in the, in the senior role and you've gone off the trust in the CV, but good references. And that individual turns out not to be in alignment with the goal that you've set. That can really impact the other nine people. And Gondor, because selling 100%. And also, uh, one of the things uh, that we have in NLP, oh, um, one of the things that we have in NLP to help uh, hiring process effective is that we call it meta program. And what we do in meta program is that we get to know about the individual that you're interviewing right now. We get to know uh, the type of personality they are. Are they, are they on time or are they not on time? This is a personality, by the way. <laughs> and also we get to know, um, are they good working in a, in a group setting or do you prefer to work individually? And we don't ask questions like, do you prefer to work by yourself or in a team? We don't ask questions like that. There is a set of questions that we ask to know where they at. And just imagine, yeah, if we have this system in place for HR department, imagine how easy the process would be. You will start to hire the right people into your company. And if this person works best in a team and this person is punctual, then you can place this person in accounting department, for example. Oh, sorry, um, accounting department. Yeah, it could be, right? Because it's punctual. And also you work with other people in, in the company. And if this person is uh, playful and then they like to work in a team, but also they don't care so much about time, um, this also the, the kind of person sometimes date. Yeah, but the creative people tend to be outside of the, they like to play outside of the box, right? Because then doesn't necessarily mean that they're not the right fit. It just depends again. like And then put them in sales department. He will, uh, he will apply. And what I notice in a, in a company is that sometimes because they don't know the personality, personality of the person that they hire, they place them here because maybe she or he take the boxes qualify, uh, qualification wise, just so that three months later, the, this person's going to quit because they don't feel like they want to work alone because they prefer to work in a group. Or maybe they quit because they don't feel that this group setting is not for them. They prefer to work alone, you know, vice versa like this. Does that make sense? Yeah, it was actually one of the questions that I was going to bring up next in terms of there's so many different tests and personality assessments out there. And I know I'm actually fascinated by them. I, I, if there's any new one on the block, I tend to try and do it. There's, there's, a, there's a couple of big ones that I haven't done. But um, I've just recently done the GC index, the game generator index. So I don't think that's as prolific at the moment. It's still kind of uh, trending. Uh, I think it'll become more popular. And then there's a psychologist that I really love called Jordan Peterson. Oh, I love him. <laughs> I, I love, love that him. You love him. That's great. And so controversial. I was just speaking about him about 10, well, 10 minutes before. Uh, I came here, actually, on the, on the member who said that she didn't like him. I will get into it. But he did his own test 
and it had like 15 different parameters and it scored you from one to a hundred. And say now if it was enthusiasm, let's just take a random personality trait. If you scored 90, it means you're in the top 10 percentiles for enthusiasm in the world. Wow. And that's very individual, right? But even now for me, when I'm, I'm looking at hiring a couple of people and I want to make sure that they're the right hires, there's the right hires. This test that you've just described, how long does that usually take and how successful is the outcome when you're trying to look for somebody that's going to fit into your team? And is it more personality? Is that, it can't be skills-based because of a skills-based assessment would be very hard to do. Right. It's very much just personality driven, right? Yes, uh, which is also very important in in what you're doing. Um, well, it's called meta program. So in part of our brain, when we process information, there is a part called filters. So when we accept an information from uh, outside, external event, from what we see, hear, feel, touch, and um, smell and taste, we process that information through our filters. Now, through our filters, we delete, distort, or generalize stuff in general, okay? Like right now, I'm sitting here with you. Um, I'm moving my hands. There is an air-conditioned uh, sound in the background, but you don't focus on that. Right? You're focusing on what I'm saying. Only now that you've said it. <laughs> I completely have forgotten. Right? Because we delete that um, information because you're focusing on what, what is important to you right now. So in that filter, there, there are a few folders. Let's call it like that. We have a few folders. One of it is meta program, our time, space, energy, uh, values, beliefs, all of these other things that, that are important to us as a, as a human being. And so... That's that's why we do the meta program test, and it's not that long actually. It's very easy. It's very conversational as well, which is really great. Um, what I also like about uh, the new style of NLP hiring is that we don't ask the old traditional question anymore. Like, okay, um, what do you expect, or what? Uh, tell me about your background, for example. I can't even remember how to ask question like that. <laughs> So, uh, we have a conversation actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, how often do companies use this in your, in your example? Have you, do you, because you work with prolific CEOs and I guess key decision makers, I like to call them. Do you work with them to implement these kind of assessments or is that not something that you focus on just from like personal thing? I know it's something that you do, but. How much of a focus is it in, in terms of your work? Um, when I work with um, high-level people and when they get to know, like, this is, this is the type of leader that I am, and no wonder I'm doing all of this, and they can start implementing that to um, their employees as well. And they could be asking the same type of question and they will get to know about this. I usually share about all of this knowledge with the people that I work with, you know, because I believe in understanding why you're doing the things you're doing. I don't want you to just have the information, but not understanding like why, where is it coming from? Why am I like this? Or why am I doing things the way I do? I think understanding is the key to everything. The moment you understand something, I can just let you go in the world and start implementing it, right? Yeah. And that's what I want to equip that hood. And when you think of mindset coaching, there must be, if I think of, I'm, I'm by trade, trusted accountant, and although I found most of it boring, 
there were aspects of it that I'd be like, okay, it's kind of exciting. Is there anything when it comes to mindset coaching for you that is something that really impassions you that's quite niche or really focused within the overarching umbrella of mindset coaching? As in like values or beliefs like this? Just like a specific discipline underneath it, right? If I think about, um, think about baking, right? And there's like a, one specific cake that you just love to bake. Think of your profession as like that. Is there a specific pillar, some form of training that isn't NLP, but then it goes to your heart. I know it goes to your heart. But like, is there anything else that you really enjoyed? Honestly, to me, mindset is everything, right? The moment you understand the power of your mind, you will be good to go in the real world. And this is the part where I told you the conscious mind and the unconscious mind and the prime directive of your unconscious mind. Basically what it means is that the primary function of your unconscious mind, the moment you understand this, this is what I'm obsessed with. And I would love to spread this to everyone because this is where we bring self-awareness into everything that we do. Because one of the things that I would say is that our unconscious mind works symbolically as well. Okay, what does that mean? Yeah, I was going to say, okay, what, what are we talking about? <laughs> so symbolically means that it could be like this, this glass right now, the glass that we have on our table, and if it's dropped and it's, it broke, what does that tell me? And if you are emotion, especially if you are emotionally attached to it. There was this one time uh, I just did my time therapy at that time. I tap into my five ne negative emotions. So obviously a lot of things are happening in my mind, right? And one of the things that comes up to me really, really strong was decision making. And uh, at that time I needed, I needed to make a decision, this or that. And I was driving and there's a cat in, on highway, on a highway. There is a cat trying to cross the road. Now talking about symbolically, this cat, no animals have ever been on that uh, highway, basically. Okay, so this cat was trying to cross the road, but then she was trying to cross and then she jumped back. She's trying to jump again. And then she was kind of like, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And then she jumped straight out uh, on the other side. So what I had to do, I stopped real hard. And because I did sit time and therapy, there's a lot of things coming out for me. And then I started asking myself, like, what is this a representation of? What do I need to learn from this? And what I got um, the answer from, from this symbolic scenario is that if you want to make a decision, make the decision. Don't go back and forth, back and forth. You can either die in this case or you are not going to proceed further. You're going to go back to square one. So make a decision. What do you want to do? Do you want to do this or you want to go forward? And how have you taken that when did that happen, by the way? Uh, like three years ago. And since then, then you felt that you've become much more decisive with your decision reading. I, it's either zero or hundred for me. I definitely feel that with you. I definitely feel that. I think that's one of the things that people definitely struggle with when it comes to decision making. When, for me as well, I'm a data-driven decision maker. Um, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> and more recently, there's, there's certain things that you have to decide from intuition, which I've been going with a lot more than data in the, probably the last year. You know, stopped drinking maybe for just over six months now and I definitely feel like more clarity when it comes to intuition. But um, 
specifically around that, there'll be times where I feel intuition and I need to make a decision and then somebody else will bring some information to you that contradicts to the decision that you want to make. Yeah. And it's against your intuition, right? And then there's this thing that I was listening to, which was really interesting as well, like, and I'll definitely get your opinion on this because you've clearly embodied this decision-making thing really well. If you don't listen to your um, intuition for a prolonged amount of time, you actually start to lose it. It diminishes because you essentially don't have it anymore because your intuition, you've gone against it so many times. A hundred percent. I like that so much. And I, I love how you put it into perspective in that sense, because it's so true. Your intuition, like I mentioned, it's your unconscious mind. Yeah, Your unconscious mind is the emotional mind. And when you diminish or you reject any idea that comes up to you, this uh, intuition could also be like inner talk, right? Like the dialogue, the inner voices. And when we start to listen to it, the more it will come up for you the more it will benefit your life in so many ways. I would definitely say stay, stay with the intuition, definitely 100%. Uh, this is also part of the, um, the information that I told you earlier, building rapport with your unconscious mind. But yes, coming back to what you're asking, if we start to diminish it or we ignore our intu intuition, this is when we have the conflict inside of us. Our unconscious mind loves us so much, right? And it takes everything personally. So when you start to ignore all of the signs and the answers that you have, because we all have the answer inside of us. And when we start to ignore them, then it will become suppressed. And when it becomes suppressed, then it will create uh, a negative emotions around it. And you know what negative emotion does to us. It, it affected our actions and it affected our result. Thanks, sense. One thing that I wanted to talk to you about as well is where you take your inspiration from, because I think we spoke with Tony Robbins at, at one point. Um, just, I guess, in, in your own words, who are those mindset coaches and those that I've hit a certain level that you take inspiration from and you can kind of aspire to? Definitely you cut on Tony Robbins, but first of all, Bob Procton. Uh, a lot of the things that I learned was from him and then Jay Shetty, but Jay Shetty is uh, on a bigger scope, right? But definitely Fort Procter, Tony Robbins, these two. What is it specifically? Jim Ron, sorry. Jim Ron. I need to mention him. And also Earl Nightingale and Napoleon Hill. Okay, okay. I know um, Jay Shetty, definitely. I've been watching him more recently. Tony Robbins, obviously, is huge. What is it about, I guess, Tony Robbins first? I just want to see if, if there's anything that you aspire to in different ways between these guys. Tony Robbins, what exactly from his learnings do you enjoy? I like his energy. I like his, uh, when he says something, he's so congruent in what he's saying. I mean, obviously he's been doing this for, I don't know, 40 years. But uh, one of the things that he mentioned specifically is that if there's anything that I can leave this world with, is that beautiful state. And what he means by that beautiful state is that you can change your state anytime, okay? Even though you're feeling low on that day, you can change your state just like that. And by how? But how, right? So you do it by, first of all, for men specifically, because Tony Robbins is so masculine and I love that. So masculine, yeah. He's so masculine and I love that part of him. And um, he does like a how pose. 
Um, and then he tapped into his, um, his chest and, you know, just get out and going, I can't really do it because obviously. <laughs> you have too much feminine energy. <laughs> I know what you mean, bro. Yeah. So uh, change the state because the moment you get into that state, you, you can conquer everything. You make a congruent decision. Um, yeah, you can, you can take anything really. So yeah. You're, you're so well-spoken, right? And when I, when I, when I listen to him, he does a stumble on a word and just definitely something that a lot of people can aspire to. And, you know, going back to my point, it's such a micro level of what these guys have achieved when I was talking about characteristics of a strong leader. I just sometimes think about someone like Tony Robbins, which just has that level of influence and positive impact on the world. When he just goes to sleep some nights after like a big workshop or he's done a big talk or something like that, what do you think goes through his mind? I know this is just a little bit tangential, but it must be such a, just such an amazing feeling, right? Oh, I think he would definitely feel gratitude again, coming back to gratitude. One of the things that I study uh, from all of these men, the love of my life that I've been talking, that I've been telling you about, one of the things that they mention and they embody is the gratitude. And the gratitude will bring you power. And that's what they all embody. Jay Shetty is massive on, on gratitude. Gratitude, yeah, that's true. I think Jay Shetty is bringing the energy of calmness and soft and uh, safe. Yeah. Um, where else? Bob Proctor, Tony Robbins, Napoleon Hill, uh, Jim Ron, uh, Earl Nightingale, for example. They embody the energy of power that's calm and secure. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like Jay Shetty's vibe. If I see him coming up on my feed, he's like um, he's like that loving brother or something. Yeah, just the energy is really nice. But with somebody like uh, I don't know Bob Proctor that much, uh, but but those other guys, I think it's like the stern father, which knows exactly what to say and get get you motivated and get gets the job done. Yeah, I like what Jim Ron said. Work on yourself harder than you work on your job. I think it resonate that so much. It's how old is Jim Rock? He passed away. He was a, a Tony Robbins mentor. Is I'm pretty sure that's what I was going to say. I'm pretty sure I saw a video and I was and maybe a year ago it came up on my feed. I'm pretty sure it was him. That's why I asked the age first. It was like um, and it really resonated to me. It was you saying every time he's working, um, he's thinking, um, oh, when he had time to go to the beach, or when he goes to the beach. He's thinking about work. Right. And I really resonated with that because sometimes to founder, anyway, even as a consultant, anything, you know, in these kind of jobs and a lot of people working out, you find yourself in a situation where you're working hard and you're like, should sure, I have that week holiday? We have that two week holiday and it motivates you. And a lot of people, I, I know I'm not the only one that feels like this, it gets to that actual thing that I want to just <laughs> guilty for what Guilty. Yeah, <laughs> And then, um, I was speaking about it this morning, actually, with, with James, the CEO of YP Flip. It was like, when I'm relaxing, I start work, thinking about work. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? But then I feel like, because this is not really work for you, is it? Sometimes, sometimes. Not not in the same way as consulting. Consulting would be 16-hour day, sat, Excel, PowerPoint, and then... But what about the feeling? Like, shoot feet. The feeling. It doesn't feel like work. You, you can't describe this can be a business consulting. But we sat doing a podcast this morning. I was sat at a workshop uh, with our financial wealth advisory firm, yes. Our Middle Wealth. 
it's it's amazing like it goes back to the thing right i was saying about impact and positive change yeah and i i take great pride in even some of the smallest case studies of we had a we had somebody come into the community and body language again i could tell you was dialed he lost his confidence he was a bit bit older and i approached him and i was like hey first event it was the first event that we ever did for um TYP actually so it would have been the very first event and i was just speaking to him i was just trying to get to know him a bit i just immediately tell the way he's got everything he was just like get in that in that place in life where he was finding it so hard i just try to speak to him and stuff and he was like i'm gonna keep on coming and then he came with me and my friend who went out one evening for dinner um just just checking in just checking and seeing how he was and he's coming to some events and stuff and then randomly i'm in my car i don't know why i was in jvc at friend's place i was just leaving and he in my phone rings i'm like it was him ringing you know when you have a friend like that you don't know if he's ringing if it's gonna be very negative but it's actually very positive right and you can only hope it be positive news i remember he phoned and it'd be some months now he'd been in drip when he started he was single and then i knew he'd start seeing someone and he said uh just thanking me for the journey and like actually meeting people he hated his job but coming there he really had the best experience of met nice people but the girlfriend he now had was his fiance and she was pregnant he was just so happy and he was like thank you for introducing me to this community it's so micro but for that one individual the impact is so real to you and to your team i think it's huge it's huge for us for us for one person just to say that but that's why i was saying like Again, I think maybe mindset and giving exposure, changing perspectives, coming there and meeting people. Um, I mean, I can only imagine like how you feel uh, when someone comes to you and say, thank you so much for connecting me. And now I got this, 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 you know, there, what you're doing in your uh, YP club right now, it's not just about connecting people, but from this, through this connection, there's so many things that happens behind the scene that you, we might not know. For example, how it impacted their confidence level. Maybe someone comes to YP Club and they're not used to um, having discussion or having to say hi to a stranger. doesn't matter whether they are uh, successful or not. But some people have this fear, right, of uh, connecting with people or public speaking or introducing themselves. But once they started doing all of this, you have no idea how much impact that you give to this person. Yeah. Yes, I was going to say, having worked in big corporates, there was always this thing around the difference between a manager and a leader. Like earlier we spoke about leaders, right? And if we take it one step further, in the big four, big four consulting where I started my career, um, it's four main companies, EY, Deloitte, PwC, KPMG. And these guys have like a headcount of maybe two to 350,000 people. And the... Journey from the hierarchy is very clear and it's consistent globally. You can go from junior associate to partner, and everybody that stays in the business, their aspirations is to become a partner. Between the kind of junior levels, there's a role which is just manager, right? And people get manager level that they don't know how to lead teams. And we used to have so many managers because it was just a natural promotion. It wasn't necessarily that you were capable of managing a team. It was that you were just given this title because it was the next step. So, you know, it is challenging to think sometimes you're a manager, but you don't actually have the capabilities to need. Yeah. I mean, 
first of all, if you want to manage other people, you need to manage yourself. Right? <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> if you can't manage your own life, how can you manage other people? And you see this a lot in a company, you know, just because they they ranked up and then that they have to take their, the lead, you know, and then they have to manage other people around them. But they don't really do a good job. And this is why the turnover for Pingles will be quitting or, you know. Churn, the churn rate, yeah. yeah. Is that something that you would look at when you're working with a company, the churn rate? Because sometimes I, I like to look at that when I'm analyzing another company and then I see some statistics on LinkedIn and it's like the median term for employees one year or something. And I'm like, that's insane. And you were actually speaking before with you, right, about my dad's business and consulting with him on things from a young age. One of the things, the metrics I always asked him to track was churn rate. I just had a really big feeling that as they were growing, but they were struggling to retain staff and the cost of hiring and training was just costing them so much money that they may as well invest properly and retaining the people they have because it was actually so costly to them. Do you, do you look at stuff like that when you, when you work with companies? Uh, definitely. Uh, definitely look into like who they hire and how much or um, how many people are quitting after that. Because why is this a cycle? You know, it's like a pattern, right? And then we have to look into like, is it the manager? What do they, what do you don't like about, about the environment or about the manager or about the job? So this is where the FETA program comes in between to see what is that that is missing. Because if you actually understand like your employees specifically, then you just need to enhance them, empower them, and then work it around what works for them. If you really care about your employees, basically. But then if you don't, this is that a lot of people quitting and that three months later, you have to hire a new one. And like you said, it costs so much. And it is. Because now you have to train the same people. And then the time that puts into it. Personally, for me, I feel like time is the most important thing, especially as a business owner. And you're running a company. Time is the essence, right? Money, cool. We can get money. But then the time that is wasted, it's wasted. It hurts. And before when we spoke, and within your business, you have a co-founder. Who else is in the business and what are the next steps for you and the business that you're with currently? And what do you see in maybe the next five years? I like this question. Definitely looking into uh, being a business owner rather than business operator. Because right now I feel like I am a little bit of business operator. Uh, I, my vision for the next five years is definitely bringing in the right people into my company so that they can run my business with the same integrity, values, inspiration to empower people clearly so that they believe in themselves also move forward in that direction. And with that being said, with all of the tools and knowledge that I have, I should be able to do it, and I will. Amazing. Amazing. And if you had to give one word of inspiration and explaining it for people that are young professionals, they want to become young leaders, what is that one thing that you would say, like from a mindset coaching perspective, that you would want to leave them with? Everything starts and ends with you. Definitely believe in yourself and cultivate an understanding 
who you are as a person so that you can bring that authenticity out and you share that you share your authenticity with people around you so that they will be impacted by your values because the top three values are yourself the most important thing value in general what is important to you so for example if i were to ask you right now what is important to you in the context of your career well, for me the top three things in the context of my career i would say what's important the most important right now that everything that we do is with transparency and integrity those are the things that i want what happened two weeks ago, we were involved with a data breach, right? And in that moment, I said to my team, let's go fully authentic, fully transparent, because if this company fails, it fails on the basis of transparency. That, and then in that moment, I realized that was kind of the key thing for me. I don't think you realize what your key priorities are until you're involved in these kind of situations. And uh, yeah, it was just a moving situation at the time, but you know, we took decisions that we took that be as transparent as possible, but to build it with transparency and integrity, number one, number two, that we attract the highest caliber of people, but making sure that they align to our values because highest caliber doesn't necessarily translate into welcoming, inviting, collaborative, that they align to that within the YP club. And then I would say, I actually love building a team. So the team that actually represents YP club and helping them on their professional journey. I've got James at the moment, he's heading up operations and he's very talented and trying to facilitate that and give him a channel where he can really explore and grow as an individual and have that autonomy actually makes me really happy. So right now it would be trying to make sure that I'm in agreement because off the top of my head, transparency and integrity within the business and how we operate, uh, attracting the right people to be members of the club and facilitating growth for employees of the business. Beautiful. And then just work on it, right? And that's the message that we can share with people around us so that now they know, like, well, what are my top three values that I can share with people? Um, and then work on your belief and around it. Like, is there anything that comes up for you that is not so positive? Because if it's positive, then that's great. You know, like, you leave it right there, we empower them. But if it's not so positive, I would say do not leave it aside. Bring it into your life because the more you understand and you're aware of what is not so positive in my life right now, whether it's word, thoughts, whatever that is, write it down. Don't don't be shy away from the things that are not positive. A lot of people try to suppress the negativity because, oh, I need to be positive to be able to do this, right? But no, it will come up to you. It will translate in your reality. And to avoid that to happen, then write it down, invite it into your life. The more you are aware of what is holding you back, the better it is, you know? Bring that as an invitation for you to work on it. The more, like I said, like when we are aware of what are the things that are holding us back, it's easy for us to move forward. And now we just need to break the barrier. Amazing. Thank you so much. I feel like I've um, benefited so much from this and actually come at it slightly uh selfishly to get some advice from you because I know your expertise and highly skilled at this. So I'm going to leave this with, with a lot of knowledge. So I appreciate you and appreciate you being involved with the club. Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Really, really happy you do. And I'm really happy to be in the club. And I like everything that you do, the branding, 
your values that you project and it actually shows in it how you how you speak how you do your events how you bringing people together it actually shows it really does appreciate you and one other thing where can everybody find you instagram website uh what's your handle it's uh, amazing thank you so much appreciate you thank you